0: Hare Krishna, everybody. Um, Welcome. Um, Just waiting for it to start streaming. I think it's streaming now. So
1: um, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Um, So we'll start with Mangalacharan.
0: uh, Prayers, as always. (laughs) Om manana timirandasya, yinangjana shalakaya, chakshurum ilitam yena, tasmaishri Namaha. Siddhantod palasara nityarasikaṁ haṁ saṁ vila-sātmakṁ avdāryākya-siddhāma-sevaka-danam caksanam bhagavido Shakya Sada, siddha vande bhagavido-vaiṣiṣṭa-sakya-siddhā namaka Yating sri vedantinam Banchakal kalpata kripa kripa-sindu-byevacca Patitanam Bhavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namo, Namaha Ajano Lambita Bujau, Kanaka Vata Tau, Pitarao, Kamalaya Takshau, Vishwambarau, Di Jabarao, Palo, Palau, Vande Jagapriya Karo, Karuna Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Nityananda Sodito, Godadaye pushpavanto Chitro Shando, Tamo nudao. Vande Han Sri Ramakrishna Abaya Charana Sukal, Sukato Sundaro, Subalo, Priyo. Hey, Krishna, Karuna, Sindhu, Dina Bandu, Jagapate, Gopesha, Gopika, Kanta, Radha, Kantanamos, Tapta Kanchanagurangi, Rade, Vrindavaneshwari Prishabanu, Sute Devi, Pranamami, Hari Priye. Vandana Kurite Mui Katashakti Dari Tamobudhi doshemui Dambamatra Kori Tatapi Mukera Bhagya Manero Las Doshaksami Modame Kuroni So, Hare Krishna everybody. Um
1: so we'll uh just do a brief, really brief summary of last time, just to get us back into the flow of where we're at. Um and what we discussed last time. So we were discussing uh, the importance of the text Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and how it really points us towards uh, refining our desires. So uh, we see this is the case with both the Gita and the Bhagavatam in various ways. And so we were making the point that at our essence, uh, we're desiring beings. Um, you know, we're units of will, sometimes put like that, right? <laughs> we, we like to desire. <laughs> so. We know. We know. Also, we, we discussed bhakti a little bit, and we we know that any contact with bhakti is so powerful. As uh, so we saw, we discussed Dhruva Maharaj a little bit. Um, we know bhakti can grant so many things, but uh, bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, which is the focus of this series, um, its thesis or driving verse it tells us anyabi anukuye na Krishna nu bhaktir uttama, which means the highest bhakti is defined as continuous service or emotions directed towards Krishna, his expansion forms, or others related to him, with a pleasing attitude towards Krishna. It should be devoid of desires other than the desire to please the Lord, and unobstructed by impersonal mnyan, the materialistic rituals of karma, or other unfavorable acts." So we might read that and think, I may as well close the book now, um, if, the, if the rest of the book's about this verse. Um, but we, we were making the point that to even have a sense of, of prema-bhakti, which is our goal, uh, to have a sense of prema-bhakti being our goal, and that bhakti herself is the way to attain, attain that goal, um, to being touched by bhakti in some way. Um, in this way, Uttama Bhakti, as as I'm sure anyone hearing these talks has been, then we we have an invitation, uh, so to speak. So it's true that we might have other interests or desires in our heart as well. So although in the context of Uttama Bhakti, uh, you know, the entire context, we we may be far from being pure devotees in the strictest sense of the term. But if prema is our goal or our practice, as it likely is for anyone deeply touched by Mahaprabhu's mission, even if we don't have a full understanding of what prema means, um, just maybe, maybe uh, you know, we, we refine that understanding as we go along, of course. Uh, but that, but then we're students of uttama bhakti uh, and not any other type of yoga. We're not students of any other type of yoga or any other type of bhakti. So, what we're going to be exploring um, for the rest of this series is refining our own intention. Uh, behind the practice, um, to come closer to this ideal. Um, So, this whole book actually helps us in that direction, and the subsidiary books that explain it also. So ultimately, the Bhakti Rasarmatta Sindhu says that our sadhana uh, should lead us toward bhava, it should produce bhava actually, um, before maturing into prema. But as we know, (laughs) there are many stages before that, uh, many stages in sadhana or practice, And so the sub-goal for many of us is nishtha or the stage of steady uninterrupted practice uh, where our material conditioning no longer distracts us and we can maintain um, a constant intensity Uh, as i'm sure many of you may have experienced sometimes we can get distracted in different ways even though we are trying trying hard to practice Um, so this stage of nishtha is where, where even with whatever material conditioning we have Um, It no longer distracts us, so we have this constant intensity, um, and our practice is driven by spiritual intelligence. And of course this will lead to Ruchi, where material desires are pretty much, uh, if not fully, retired. So before that, um, if we've taken up this path, it might not mean that our other desires will instantly vanish, hence why there are these other stages but they won't become a covering on our practice uh, because we're practicing to fulfill them. Uh, sorry, we're not practicing. <laughs> I hope that's not a Freudian slip, but <laughs> we are practicing to fulfill them, um, but rather to cleanse them or redirect them, uh, at least until we're, we're in the higher stages of sadhana bhakti. Um, so that's, that's really what the rest of this series is going to be about. So on that, um, today's topic Uh, main topic is is are we qualified? Um, So I guess a question to ask is if I'm saying we are qualified to to practice be students of this school of Uttama Bhakti, were we qualified as being students of Uttama Bhakti from day one um, after we had the good fortune you know whether we came in contact with a devotee maybe directly or indirectly or however we've all got our stories of how we came to Bhakti? And I'd argue that it's not necessarily the case uh, that we're qualified as students of Uttama Bhakti from day one. But as with many, many things in spiritual life, the potential is there. Um, So what does it mean to be qualified to practice Uttama Bhakti? So the verses we're going to read today, we're going to read a series of verses from the second wave or the second chapter of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And so this this verse is um, verse 14 in the in the second wave. So it, this is the translation. The qualified candidate is described as follows: the person who has developed faith in serving the Lord by the impressions arising from previous association with devotees, who is not too attached to material objects and who is not too detached, is qualified for vaidhi bhakti. So. As a side note, before we get into to the actual topic at hand, just to maybe clear up for anybody um, who, who might be a bit confused um, with this term Vaidibhakti. Um, so Vaidi Bhakti, as we know, um, is like the practice, the practice that's driven by scriptural regulations uh, like this. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu,
0: as,
1: as many of you are aware, I'm sure. Um, he he really emphasized rag bhakti or raganuga bhakti, and so I want to clarify clarify in the context of our studies uh, something for those, those who might not be aware that um, you know as I say Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's school emphasizes raganuga bhakti, um, and the, the likelihood is for anyone um, hearing this or even um, studying bhakti Rasamata Sindhu in um, in general. Obviously, they, they might, there's exceptions, of course, always, but our ideal is Raj or Vrindavan. Often we hear so much about Vrindavan, right? Whereas the, the ideal of uh, Vaikuntha, the Vaikuntha planets, this is attained by Vaidhi Bhakti, which is also a path unto itself, um, or devotion, as I say, governed by scripture as a path. Whereas in Raganuga Bhakti, it's driven by a, a, a taste or a greed for a taste, a specific taste. Um, So that said, however, until our material desires are retired in the stage of ruchi, or taste, then the process is very similar for both Vaidhi and and, and Raganuga. So both paths of Vaidhi, Bhakti and Raganuga are very similar, except, as I say, the ideal is different in that we emphasize Vrindavan. So both paths, something very important to understand is that both paths Whatever, whatever the destination or our ideal is, are both considered under uttama-bhakti. So there's this idea of pure bhakti or uttama-bhakti, because both paths strive to fully embody this 1111 verse um, in desiring to please Krishna in the fullest sense according to our potential to do so. So obviously, you know, in one sense, Srimati Radharani is the only one who can please Krishna in the fullest sense, but we've all got potential to please Krishna, as, to, as being part of that, you could say, um, in different ways. Obviously, that's uh, different in, in different, different um, schools. But so, some of you will be aware um, that Jiva Goswami, he very graciously gave us a position on this path, uh, even before we're free of our material desires. So he uses this term Ajata Ruchi Raganuga Bhakti or Raganuga Bhakti without taste. So what that means is that we we still have taste for so many material things, uh, at least speaking personally, we've got taste for many material things, but somewhere in our hearts, amongst all the clutter, we know that we want to strive for this mood of Vrindavan, even if we don't have full eagerness or the full greed that Raganuga Sadhana Bhakti is really embodied by. So. Later Acharyas, um, after Jeev Goswami, such as Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and Srila Prabhupada following after them, they've used this term uh, Vaidhi Bhakti in quite a general way often in their writings to distinguish the stage of our path uh, where we embrace the practices of Vaidhi Bhakti, um, to, so we can attain greater elig- eligibility to practice Raganuga Bhakti, uh, even Raganuga Sadhana Bhakti in the fullest sense, um, and, and even in higher stages. It should be noted that um, they, they, it embraces Vaidhi Bhakti uh, practices of Vaidhi Bhakti, but with a different internal motivation. So, so much could be said on these topics, but for the purpose of this series. The main reason I bring these points up is that many of the verses we're going to read um, refer to Vaidi Bhakti, because it's in a section on Vaidi Bhakti. Um, but we, we should understand that they're valid for anyone on the path of Uttama Bhakti, no matter one's spiritual ideal in the ultimate sense. So, whether one has a Vaidi orientation or a rag orientation, these verses, um, they apply apply to all, actually. Um, so. Uh, Going back to the main topic at hand, um, are we qualified from day one? So, again, I'll read this verse. What does it mean to be um, qualified to practice Uttama Bhakti? The qualified candidate is described as follows. The person who has developed faith in serving the Lord by the impressions arising from previous association with devotees, who is not too attached to material objects and who is not too detached, is qualified for Vaidhi Bhakti. So Rupa Goswami also gives a really nice verse uh, from the Bhagavatam to support this. He, he, he gives this verse from the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, 1128, where it says, um, If somehow or other, by good fortune, one develops faith in hearing and chanting my glories, such a person, being neither very disgusted with nor attached to material life, should achieve perfection through the path of loving devotion to me. So, I said it's not necessarily the case we were qualified as students of Uttama Bhakti from day one, but I'm also claiming that mo- most of us, if not all, um, and any, any sin- serious and sincere devotee in Lord Chaitanya's school, no, no matter the amount of their material condition could, conditioning, uh, are considered um, to be students of Uttama Bhakti. So, In the beginning, we might have come to a kirtan or a a lecture or or some some kind of program, but with no faith whatsoever of serving Krishna. Uh, Maybe we didn't even have a conception whatsoever of Krishna either. Um, But early on in our practice, by associating with devotees, we start to learn that actually when we're chanting, we're asking for service to Krishna and actually that even the chanting itself is, is a service. Um, so although this conception isn't fully refined from day one, by the time one's become a little serious about the path, the likelihood is that there, there is a conception that all these limbs of bhakti, or practices of bhakti, they're all about serving Krishna. So Chaitanya school is all about that. So in one sense, we've been touched by that conception, um, and, and every person in the school has been, and so to the, to the degree that we embrace that conception, uh, that's the degree to which we, we're in this school of Uttama Bhakti. So we might bunk off from school from time to time, unfortunately, um, but you know, hopefully we keep coming back to, uh, to this focus um, of Uttama Bhakti. And so Rupa Goswami, he goes on to elaborate on, the, on different types of devotees qualified for Uttama Bhakti. Um, So he gives three types of devotees. So these are verses 16 to 19. He says, there are three types of persons qualified for Vaidi Sadhana Bhakti, Uttama Adhikari, Madhyam Adhikari, and Kanishta Adhikari. The Uttama Adhikari is defined as follows. The person who is skillful in scripture and logic, completely firm in his belief, with deep faith, is considered qualified as Uttama in Vaidi Bhakti. The Madhyamadikari is defined as follows. The person who is not fully conversant with the scriptures, like the Uttama Adhikari, but has firm conviction in them, is known as Madhyamadikari. The definition of Kanishta Adhikari is as follows: He who has weak faith because of even less knowledge of the scriptures than the Madhya is called the Kanishta. Now a whole series could be done on going deeply into these three types of devotees and different ways. Sometimes they are defined, sometimes uh, different acharyas define them in different ways, depending on the context. Um, but I think as a side note, it's important to note that in this context, Rupa Goswami is defining them by the depth of their faith and their understanding of the scripture on a deep level, not just memorizing, but the ability to think through the logic of the scripture. You might have heard of this term Shastra Yukti. So um, also, I guess, an important kind of side note is that all three of these are included in defining who is qualified for sadhana bhakti we're not talking about bhava bhakti here the next chapter is about bhava bhakti so this is this is about sadhana bhakti and so he's defining these three types of people or devotees who who are qualified so for the context of this series, now I want to read the next verse that will help me make the point I want. I want to make regarding our, our qualification, even for uttama bhakti. That at least we're Kanishta adhikaris <laughs> in the in the way Rupa Goswami is defining adhikaris here. So, uh, in verses one um, 1220 to one two twenty one, 2, he says, among the four types of persons qualified for bhakti mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. When they receive the mercy of the Lord, or his devotee, and eradicate those tendencies, they become qualified for pure bhakti. Examples of this are Gajendra, Shaunaka, Shaunaka and the Sages, Dhruva, and also the four Kumaras. So, as we were discussing last week, uh, and I'm sure we're all very familiar, uh, and have and, and heard this many times, bhakti is extremely powerful and any contact with her is extremely beneficial, even in mixed forms. But those type of bhakti are not the bhakti that Lord Chaitanya is giving um, in the fullest sense, and they won't lead to prema in, in and of themselves practicing that kind of mixed bhakti. It's not that anyone who's had some contact with bhakti is guaranteed to reach such a high goal as prema, although the potential is there. Um, but only by practicing this uttama bhakti can, can can one can it lead one to such a prospect. So Rupa Goswami, he's pointing out that even those touched by bhakti who have mixed motivations, if they can refine their desire uh, by the mercy of the devotees uh, or by Krishna Himself, then they can also come to this uttama bhakti. So in the in this verse, he's referring to this this famous verse in the Gita. I'm I'm sure you you mostly familiar with, um, in verse 7, 16, where Krishna discusses the four types of persons that take shelter of him. Um, And he says that actually, he says they're all glorious or magnanimous souls, you know, so I think there's quite another side note, uh, lots of side notes, but it's quite an important point that all all devotees, anyone who approaches Krishna should should be seen as glorious and respected. But he makes the point, he makes the point of the four types of devotees. He said, those who are in distress, those who are inquisitive, those who are seeking some material wealth, and those who desire to gain knowledge of the Absolute. So, the examples Rupa Goswami is given here, uh, a Gajendra, who you may be familiar in the Bhagavatam, uh, he he was the elephant who was being eaten by the crocodile, right? And he wanted relief from that suffering. So he approached the Lord to be relieved from that suffering of of being attacked by the crocodile. Uh, And when he saw the Lord, when the Lord came to save him, um, he he saw the Lord and he was so charmed upon seeing Krishna or Vishnu, in that case Narayana. Um, And so similarly, uh, the sages such as Shanaka, they're given an, as, as an example of the inquisitive uh, devotee. So they were quite inquisitive into the nature of the world and especially of heaven, svagaloka, and how to attain it. So they heard from the devotee, Suta Goswami, who, as we know, spoke the Bhagavatam to them, uh, him, he himself having heard it from Shukadeva Goswami. And then we spoke a bit about Dhruva Maharaj last week, and we know that he wanted to attain a kingdom; that was his desire. But he he was captivated by Narayan upon seeing him and achieving his goal, and later went on to develop pure bhakti. And uh, and the four kumaras, the other others, who also were captivated by Narayan, um, even though initially they were desiring moksha or liberation. So. We may also have experience of this, right, that um, we have experience in, in one of these that maybe the first time we came to a program uh, it was because we were suffering or we were inquisitive or, the, you know, the first time we picked up a book or however, whatever it was. Uh, here are our local programs. Here we have kirtan programs and, and different different kinds of um, Qatar programs. Um, and so we see... Uh, Many people that come to the kirtans, often it's because they're suffering in some way, and they're seeking relief from the sometimes harsh nature of the material world. Uh, Even they come without any understanding of what it is we're doing, Um, or some people they may come because they're inquisitive, but they're they're curious about what what are these Hare Krishna people all about, Um, um, but they don't have much faith in the concept of a supreme being, or maybe they don't even have, have a concept of a supreme being, um, what to speak of serving Him, um, you know, there's, this, this isn't there, there for them. But we find those who stick around, uh, they hear more, read the books. The captivating nature of Krishna pull, pulls, as we know ourselves, pulls us further and further into higher motivations in, into, in that direction. So I would I would argue that it's not the case that someone's qualified for Uttama Bhakti just by having come in touch with devotees or bhakti literature or however however it is, um, of course though that's extremely beneficial, but because if so, if someone's practicing even the limbs of uttama bhakti such as kirtan, but they have an ulterior motivation. If someone's doing their kirtan but they're thinking. Oh, you know, I really I really want a castle, as you said last week or whatever it is, then then they would be included in these. Uh, they wouldn't be included in these three types of devotees qualified for uttama bhakti, but they would come under this verse of, of the Gita. If they're approaching Krishna for something, they'd come under this verse of the Gita of the four types of devotees that approach Krishna. But when someone, by the grace of previous impressions, so maybe from previous lifetimes, or from hearing from saintly people, uh, or, or studying the scripture, or the grace of Krishna himself, they decide, this is, this is the, my goal in life. Is, is to serve Krishna, and they, and, and they have that faith or sense that bhakti is the way to do that, that, then they're qualified, even if that understanding's not yet been refined, and we have some work to do in, in terms of cleansing the heart, so that we can do so steadily. So, as, as we've discussed, we, we may certainly, even, even maybe having that conception, we may certainly still have, have material desires, e- even if they're subtle. Uh, and we might not be fully focused on our practice at all times. We might have unsteady practice, um, anishta Bhajana Kriya. So can we be so bold to call ourselves Kanishtha Adhikaris, uh, understanding even someone like Dhruva Maharaj uh, wasn't qualified at that point for Uttama Bhakti until he'd attained of Vishnu and, and kind of, you know, given up that uh, initial drive and received Vishnu's mercy? And I'd say yes. Um, I, I've sometimes heard our Guru Maharaj make the point that um, Kanishta or neophyte is, is a category that's been very mercifully created for us. Um, after, after all, this bhakti given by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, we know Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the most munificent incarnation of Krishna, right? Or Krishna himself, actually, in his most munificent mood, let's say. Um, so this bhakti given by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu reaches down to the most low and takes them to the most high, as we know. So, as I, as I said last week, uh, what one isn't practicing to attain a kingdom or even to reduce their suffering, even though that might have been there in the early stages of coming into contact with bhakti. So, there are, there are many things uh, that could be said about what makes a Kanishta differ from a mixed devotee but in the interest of time uh the the main point i guess to to bring out that it, it's one of motivation of practice so what what is the motivation behind our practice so even though the faith or the shraddha it may be tender in the beginning in the sense that um, one can still be distracted from focused practice. I'm sure we've all got that experience, so most of us have that experience, that we can still be distracted from focused practice, and, and at times we may be haunted by our material conditioning. Um, but still, when we do practice, we're practicing with a specific purpose in mind, that's to please Krishna, or, or at least attempt to, and make progress in that direction. Now, Obviously the only person who can really judge that, apart from Krishna, is ourselves in our own self-reflection, looking into our own hearts and may, maybe elevated sadhus also. But, you know, we, we know our own hearts. We, 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 uh, that's why we ha- it's good to reflect from time to time and, and be quite th- thoughtful in our practice. Um, but also hearing from those who are further along uh, is extremely beneficial also. Because as we know, by, by the grace of hearing from sadhus, um, or hearing the scripture, we, we can understand uh, that the motivation of our practice needs to be refined, you know, that, that for those of us with, with cluttered hearts, um, that means making our, our practice more steady, you know, um, having this interim goal of nishtha, as, as our Guru Maharaj points out, should, should be an interim goal for, for those who haven't attained nishtha. And and knowing that this nishta-bhakti, that such steady bhakti, this also will help us fully unclutter our hearts in the context of wanting to go the full distance to prema. So hearing the spiritual ideals, this gives us great motivation or great reason to do so. Uh, After all, Krishna is all-attractive, you know, that's the meaning of his name or one meaning of his name. And we see in these examples of Rupa Goswami that he gave of mixed devotees, They were all attracted upon either seeing Krishna or hearing about Krishna, even though their initial motivation, it was more of a selfish one. That that was their initial motivation. But by hearing more and more, their their conception was refined or their desire was refined, so to speak, and they all became pure devotees. Um, So with that, um, I I guess the way direction I I want to go now with... with, with, um, with the rest of, of uh, the discussion for today, is to give an example of refining our desire. Um, to so, uh, let's let's read the next verse uh, before we discuss it. So so the next verse is what one two twenty two, and it says, or Rupa Goswami says, how can the happiness of bhakti arise in the heart? when the witch of desire for enjoyment and liberation remains there. So, many many of you um, will be familiar with this concept of Yukta-vairagya, or engaging even our desires uh, for enjoyment in Krishna's service, to make progress, to, to dovetailing, so to speak, you know, this... Obviously, there, there, are, there are other meanings to Yuktavaragya on, on a higher, higher platform, you know, it's not that, um, you know, devotees in, in bhava, even if they're engaging in Yuktavaragya, they're engaging their material desires, uh, that's not what's happening. Rather, they're engaging the material energy, uh, understanding that it's all Krishna's energy in Krishna's service. But sometimes, you know, especially in early stages, we might have certain uh, material desires or material inclinations, and we want to engage those desires uh, for enjoyment, even in Krishna's service, uh, to make progress. So this, this is one way we utilize this yukta vairagya or, or dovetailing. Um, so we might come back uh, to that in later sessions. Um, in, in regards to this, how we dovetail material enjoyment and like that, but in the context of refinement uh, for today, I want to focus on this concept of liberation. So go this term, going back to Godhead, uh, that we've all heard many, 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 many times, I'm sure, <laughs> going back to Godhead, right, um, and it's usually emphasized very early on, and Srila Prabhupada himself used it extensively as we know in in his preaching campaign and his purports. Um, And I know there's a whole history to the origination of the phrase that actually means something differently. There's a nice article on the Harmonist you you, you can um, find there um, if you search back to Godhead. Um, But that's another discussion, that's not what we're getting into today. Um, But undoubtedly, Most of us have heard this time and time again, this idea of going to Godhead, and this concept um, being, you know, going to the spiritual world, like our whole practice is about going to the spiritual world, right? So, do we want to go to Godhead? Uh, Do we want to go to the spiritual world? Um, Doesn't that seem like a desire for liberation of some kind? Surely surely we're not practicing Uttama Bhakti, if that's our desire. Um, And so, this is, that's not what I'm saying, but, you know, it's a rhetorical question. (laughs) Um, So, this is, this is one of those areas uh, where refinement of understanding and desire is really important, I, I feel, as we make progress. Um, I, I remember early on, um, I heard a class from a devotee. He was making a point um, that I, I thought it was a very good point, actually, as I reflect on it, that if, if, if we were to enter the spiritual world now, He was speaking about the spiritual world and he, he was saying that if we had to enter the spiritual world now with the consciousness we have now, what would we do with all those kalpavriksha trees, right? <laughs> I, I know personally these wish-fulfilling trees. So there's, they're said to be cup of trees in the spiritual world or wish-fulfilling trees. You stand underneath and all your desires are fulfilled. <laughs> so personally speaking, you know, I likely stand underneath there thinking of all the things I could enjoy. So all sorts of flavors of ice cream, let's say, you know, sweets galore, uh, a tongue and stomach that are never satiated, um, you know, so I could enjoy all that ice cream that I'm desiring. The list could go on, but of course, that wouldn't be coming from a selfless attitude uh, or, or a desire for Krishna's enjoyment. And, and it's quite a crude understanding of the spiritual world, actually. But, but um, I remember hearing that in, in the early, early days, and I, I thought, it, thought it was quite, quite a nice point. But as we um, learn more and we hear more, And we understand more about what Vraj means, for example, what Vrindavan means, to some degree, of course, because uh, to really understand there, we've got to go there, as we know. Um, But to understand the nature of of the Vrajbasis, we can understand that's the kind of association we want, you know, that we want that kind of association. I once heard a class uh, from my guru Maharaj. He gave the example um, that it's not selfish to want to be like Mother Teresa, in the sense of Mother Mother Teresa uh, were, was known to be a giver, you know, she was known for her charitable works, and, and so she was known to, for being a very giving person. And so if someone uh, says has that desire, I want to be like Mother Teresa, uh, that's not a selfish desire um, to want to be like that. Now, that's obviously presuming it's not because we want to do it superficially because we superficially want to seem to be givers, because actually we want status or praise or whatever it is. Obviously, that's that's another thing. But if our desire is, you know, OK, I'm not really that much of a giver or, or I'm not at least not on that level of, of a giver. But I really would like to embrace that kind of um, uh, that kind of ideal, you know, of, of being a giver like that, like Mother Teresa in this example, for example, that's not a selfish desire to have. Um, and so, uh, similarly, you know, to want to go to Godhead, I say, to want to go to the spiritual world, uh, to w- want to be part of the spiritual world, to be part of Vrindavan, and like that, that's not a selfish desire, actually. If we understand what it is, um, to, and to go to the spiritual world should certainly be encouraged, because what better association? is there than than the the residents of of the spiritual world, and especially of Vrindavan. What what better state of consciousness to strive for? And so this is another reason why hearing about these things, uh, like the leelas and, and these kind of things, is also so beneficial also. It creates impressions and desires in ourselves to be in such company and to develop such qualities. So, so, in Vraj, in as we know, there's no selfish desire at all, uh, even spiritual selfishness. Um, but, it, but if someone has a, a conception that to go back to Godhead is, to, is more from a sense of being liberated for one's own enjoyment, or to be able to take advantage of those kalpavrikṣa trees, free of material suffering, that, then I'd say that some more refinement is needed to, to really embrace the sense of Uttama Bhakti that, that Rūpa Goswami is giving. So, that, that said, let, let's look at it from another angle, this sense of liberation, that, um, you know, should should we be completely free from the desire for liberation, uh, it, it, you know, e- even though maybe we're not quite there in, in terms of really desiring the mood of Vrindavan, we might have heard about it, and in one sense we have, maybe we've got some kind of like drive for that, but maybe it's not that that strong, you know. Still, as we know, maybe some material conditionings there, and and we also have desires for other things and what whatever. Um, so, you know, still this desire for liberation should should this be just given up, uh, even though we're not quite there, because as many of you may be aware, one of the characteristics given in the first chapter of Bhakti, Rasam, Bhakti, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, or, um, is that. It, one one characteristic is that there's a total disregard for liberation, so this, this includes uh, even personal forms of liberation, uh, which are only taken by the devotee if des, if desired by Krishna. So, um, there's a verse, I, I won't read it now, um, just in the interest of time, but um, there's a verse along, along the lines that e- even if a form of personal liberation is offered, then the pure devotee won't, won't accept that kind of liberation unless it's desired by Krishna himself. So, I don't intend to go through the six characteristics of bhakti in detail, but for the benefit of those who are not familiar, um, there there are six characteristics of practicing uttama bhakti that have been given in the first chapter um, or the first wave. And so those are that one who practices this uttama bhakti, by the practice of this uttama bhakti, it destroys all suffering. It also brings all auspiciousness. it has a total disregard for liberation. It's rarely attained. It's composed of super condensed bliss, and it has the power to control Krishna. Now, you might be thinking, "Okay, well, I think I'm I, I'm kind of practicing uttama bhakti, or I've got this conception, but..." I know I can't control Krishna, and um, <laughs> not that we should be trying to control Krishna, but um, also, also, you know, I, I'm not really experiencing super, comp- super condensed bliss. Uh, but actually, Rupa Goswami splits these different characteristics into the different stages of bhakti. So, the, so these last two, of uh, super condensed bliss and the power to attain Krishna, these are actually in the stage of prema. And um, to, to go to the first one, Uh, the first two, that this destroying all suffering and bringing all auspiciousness, uh, this comes in sadhana bhakti. So as another side note, if you're wondering, okay, I I practice sadhana bhakti, but all my suffering hasn't disappeared, (laughs) you know, I I still suffer sometimes. Um, So even though I've taken up this path, and I think I'm sincere, at least I think so, you know, maybe I have to look a bit deeper in my heart, but actually don't be too disheartened. Rupa Goswami um, points out that this happens gradually uh, through the various stages of sadhana and there are various examples given um, of different types of of karma and so on. And and Jiva Goswami gives a really nice example um, in in one of his commentaries uh, to one of the verses of of stringing a needle through a bunch of leaves while stringing a garland that, you know, if we were to make a garland, those who are familiar with making garlands, or if you just imagine you've got loads of leaves and you've got a needle and you're thread- threading them through the needle, um, it might th- seem if you've got just a few leaves together and you put the needle through, that it's going through all at once. But if if you were to film it, let's say, you, t- you film those leaves and you put it in slow motion, you'd see the needle going through each leaf one by one. So the point made there in that section is that um, these statements that say karma is destroyed instantly, you know, and, and these things, it's understood that different types of karma are destroyed uh, one by one, um, and gradually in the various stages. So obviously, in higher stages of sadhana bhakti, more of that material conditioning is gone. As we know, nishta, you know, one isn't affected by the material conditioning, whereas prior to nishta, maybe we are being affected by a material conditioning in different ways or karma. So um, there's a whole discussion on that, as I say, that's not really, that, that may, may be a good series for the future, but that, that's not for this series right now, but um, there's a nice nice um, discussion in the first um, first chapter of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, and also Guru Maharaj has, has commented on, on these ideas in our um, Guru Maharaj is his, his uh, Bhagavad Gita commentary um, in verse 256, so anyone who's, who's got... Um, Guru Maharaj's Bhagavad Gita, if you if you look at the commentary to 256, some of these ideas are brought out there also in in his commentary. So that said, and as I say, this this destroying of suffering and bringing all auspiciousness, it's only included um, in the sadhana bhakti stage. So this, this idea of disregarding liberation, to bring back to, to um, the discussion at hand that this, this idea of disregard for liberation, actually it's there at the stage of bhava. And that's because someone in that stage of bhava, they're already liberated, um, they've, and, and they've tasted something far beyond liberation. Sometimes it's said uh, the bhava bhakti is bhakti proper or mature bhakti. And so it it is the liberated stage, Um, you know. There's, 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 there's no, no. Liberation is disregarded because it's seen as a small thing. It's seen as a side effect of bhakti, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's it's not, not, not a big deal um, for someone who's tasted that, right? But. It's not expected that one in sadhana bhakti will genuinely have a real disregard for liberation in the fullest sense. We, we all know what it feels like uh, to feel the sufferings of the world, and this is why even the concept of going back to Godhead can be feel so appealing, uh, even when we don't have much understanding of what that means. Uh, I really like, there's a nice example Padmanabha Maharaj sometimes gives in his classes, uh when when talking about this disregarding of liberation that if mukti devi was standing there directly in front of us uh, and she was offering us uh the instant freedom so she says i I will give you instant freedom from all the sufferings of the material world and maybe even in a personal form of liberation you know you you can go to the planet of the lord or whatever um there are there are four four types of personal liberation but you know it, it i can give you this all the sufferings of the world completely gone, Uh, you'll you'll be very blissful, you'll be Vaikuntha, no anxiety, right, no anxiety. Who knows if we'd really be able to resist such a temptation, even with all the theoretical knowledge we have. Yeah, we're not after liberation, we're not after liberation, (laughs) you know, uh, who knows, who knows. But as I say, realistically speaking, uh, in this stage of sadhana bhakti, it's not expected uh, one will have a full-blown disregard for liberation, because that's something that comes naturally uh, to someone in bhava-bhakti. So although we may not be um, fully free from a desire for liberation, we can dovetail this desire in uttama-bhakti. We're not practicing for liberation, uh, as as we've been discussing. So the desire for liberation uh, itself is is, is material, uh, in the sense it's wanting to be free from material suffering, right? That, that's why someone wants to be liberated, There's suffering in the material world, and they want to be free from that suffering. But as we know, all things material can also be engaged in the culture of uttama bhakti, this yukta vairagya. So we we can refine that desire by praying. uh, So we can pray, you know, please, Lord, liberate us from those obstacles that stand in the way of steady bhakti, nishta bhakti, those things that, you know, coming into my face time and time again and distracting me and these things, you know, please. Um, help, help me be liberated from those things, liberated from those obstacles to stop us from gaining a taste, a deep taste, or oh, ruchi, and help us help us become attached to you, a, sh- a shakti. So many of the songs of our acharyas have these kind of moods, uh, and they can help us meditate on these moods. Uh, the, the one that comes to mind for me is, is Prema Bhakti Chandrika by Srila Narutamdas uh, Thakur. Uh, it's, it's very beautiful. And has many of these moods of, you know, I'm, I'm um, haunted or, or, or really being affected by this t- to mingle a fish of lust. Uh, you know, lust is hitting me uh, left, right and center. Um, please free me from that so I can make progress and so on. And th- there are many beautiful sentiments in those, those songs. But I'm sure any anyone who's heard so many of our songs of, of the Vaishnavacharyas, the Mahajans and like that, there are so many beautiful moods that express this kind of feeling of, Please help me overcome, let me be liberated from these obstacles to really embracing this, this verse, this 1111 verse um, of Uttama Bhakti. So I'll, again, going back to what, what why it is that we're students, is that our bhakti isn't covered by a desire for liberation. We don't, we don't try, we don't practice to let me be liberated, let me even have one of the personal forms of liberation. Other well, I'll get to that in a second, but that we're using we're using that desire rather for making f- further progress. You know, we're using that desire to progress in this school. Um, so our Guru Maharaj, he sometimes uh, answers the question, "How many lifetimes will it take me to go back to Godhead?" Sometimes people ask that, right? How many lifetimes does it take to go back to Godhead? And he he often answers. Uh, with, with the amount of lifetimes it stops you measuring how long it takes to go back to godhead and just engage wholeheartedly in serving krishna you know making the point that this is all about serving krishna whichever stage we're at sometimes it's said you know even sadhana bhakti is is also it's also uttama bhakti in an immature state so uh narottamdas Thakur says that actually in his in his prema bhakti chandrika so um, so we can we can refine that understanding and motivation by the grace of sadhus. Uh, And and one way is the way that I explained also in getting a better sense of what it means to go back to Godhead in our school. It's not a case of going there so I can be liberated from my worldly anxieties, wish for my chocolate bars under the cup of rickshaw trees and eat to my heart's content, uh, because there's no indigestion there and and so on. Um, But it's about being in the company of and imbibing the attitude of those devotees who uh, fully desire nothing, but to please Krishna. Um, So that might be in the Leela, if we understand what the Leela is, and that's obviously something we're all learning but also it may be in this world, depending on what Krishna wants, that's up to Krishna. Um, So as I say, one refinement, I'll I'll finish up in a second, but just one, one refinement is the hearing of our ideal and developing our desire for that. Um, And and on another level is also dovetailing or refining any desire for liberation we might have um, due to not being in bhava Bhava, and not being able to disregard it fully, um, especially in those really, you know, (laughs) hard moments in the material world when when there can be a lot of suffering. But we can desire desire to be liberated from the anarthas that slow our progress, Um, you know, the things that we know are obstacles in our progress. We can desire and pray for strength to remove them and engage in these angas of bhakti with a desire to have the heart cleansed of these things um, as, you know, as much as we can, uh, as much as we can, and, and it, this will obviously increase and increase as we ma- make progress. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's there's many nice classes uh, on on, on Nartha Niv- Nivritti and, and these kind of things. Padmanabha Maharaj has a nice series. And, and also, Ashram Maharaj um, gave a nice series recently on um, on Sharnagati. So th- th- this really is, you know, uh, a big part of that. So I-, I recommend listening to those also in terms of transforming the frustrations of the material world in a way that we can develop our Sharnagati. And I- praying for the strength from those who are beyond these things, and obviously associating and hearing from those further along, th- th- this kind of refinement is really beneficial. And like Aguru Maharaj often says, I'll, I'll end on this that Aguru Maharaj, Maharaj often says that it's not about becoming neurotic about these things. That, that's another important point. Um, I'm sure anyone who's, who's listened to his classes often. have heard this many times, you know, that it's not about us becoming neurotic about these things and meditating on our obstacles, you know, more than meditating on the holy name, let's say, or on transcendental topics. Um, But when they are before our eyes, uh, and and when we engage in serious sadhana, as anyone who's engaged in any any serious sadhana knows, these obstacles do come before our eyes. (laughs) Sometimes it's not so comfortable. But, you know, when they do come before our eyes, that we use that desire to, of, of liberation, for example, to overcome them, that let, let me be liberated from these things, you know, so that I can come to nishta, uh, and, and, um, and desiring to be liberated from obstacles, knowing that the way um, is through the power of bhakti, through the power of bhakti, because bhakti is more powerful than all these things. So I think I'll end there, um, because that's like 50 minutes already, I guess, so Uh, I guess, yeah, if anyone would like to add any comments or corrections or uh, questions and and like that, or refinements, then uh, please do um, feel free to unmute yourself. I think you can unmute yourself. Um, Yourself and then. um...
2: Uh, Prabhu.
0: Okay.
1: I guess if no one's got anything.
2: Hello, Haribo?
1: No, I I, I can't hear. Let me see if I got my translation.
0: I got mine on English.
1: Maybe they need to put their interpretation on English.
0: Okay. Does
2: it work now?
1: Oh, there we go. Yes. Sorry.
2: Um, I had to get off. Somehow or other, I lost. The sound, so I had to get off and come back on, and I forgot to go through the interpretation button again. Um, first thing is, I just want to I want to thank you for for your presentation. Um, I was really, um, I just really appreciate how well conceived it is, and um, and how well and how concisely you delivered it. <laughs> a, very, a good example for me, I think. Um, I, I, I don't have any corrections or anything, but an interesting note um, on the the six uh, symptoms of bhakti. Mm. When we look
0: at the uh, Sri Krishna Akarshani in, in the Bhakti
2: Rasamrita Sindhu, uh, the power to control Krishna, to attract Krishna, uh, Jiva Goswami makes the point that we're clearly talking about Satya Bhakti here, <coughs> um, because of the power to control Krishna in, in his commentary. However, in the Bhakti Sindharva, he argues in the other direction um, rather elaborately. He points out, well, to kind of sum it up, he says that even satana and he uses a bunch of verses from the Bhagavata to, uh, to, uh, um, you know to substantiate this that um, if sadhana bhakti has the power to compel Krishna to give the sadhaka pava bhakti, that means that at least to some extent, even sadhana bhakti has some power to control Krishna. It's just a really interesting thing that I found because, um, well, I I came across this uh, after reading Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's commentary on the 19th verse of the fifth chapter of the first canto. This is Narada Muni speaking to Vyasadeva. And um, in his commentary, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur talks about one of the uh, terms in the verse, rasagraha, which Srila Prabhupada um, renders as uh, always remembering the taste that you got from serving Krishna. And um, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur makes it really plain. Graha means haunted. And uh, so he says this, you, you know that you, you can't get rid of that memory um, as if, uh, as if uh, being haunted by a ghost that you can't shake. In other words, you're haunted by Rasa. And he says it's from the very first day of worshiping the Lord. And he cites a verse from the second chapter of the 11th canto, one of the Navi speaking to King Nimi. a very well-known verse, Bhakti Kureshāna Padlo So, you know, he says that um, because the analogy in that verse is, is with eating, he says, you start to get pleasure, nourishment, and relief from hunger, from the first morsel of food. You know, from that first handful of rice, um, so he says, um, we can see from that that so there's some bhakti and um, and some experience of the Lord, even if it's like a nice kirtan or a good class or something like that, and um, some detachment from everything else, even from the very beginning of our practice. So that's just kind of really complicates the whole idea that. It's got, you know, that, that only Satya Bhakti, only Prema Bhakti has any power to control the Lord. And that comes from Jiva Goswami in the Bhakti um, who is considerably more conservative in some ways than um, than Vishnu Chakravarti Takara. But I, I just want to also, I just want to frame this again with my appreciation. Um, this, Even though I need to prepare to give a class myself in, in an hour or so, um, this was well worth my uh, 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 visiting today to to, you know, to hear this and, and how um, nicely you know you you covered this uh, you know this this part of the second chapter of the Bhagavad something to send you and, and, and um, I have uh, really good feelings about the future. And, thank you
1: thank you Maharaj I, I really appreciate your feedback That's that's really encouraging for me i, I remember you quoting that um that um about uh, haunting us from day one when we met you in in Poland and it stuck 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 with me a lot i i, I didn't didn't remember the details of it so but it, that, that was really um something i remember you you speaking on that really stuck with me and thank you for sharing that about Jiva goswami's comments also that that's new new for me. I, I really uh really appreciate that. It's hopefully one day I'll get, get to the Bhakti Sandarbha <laughs> one day. But um but yeah, thank thank you so much uh for your encouragement, Maharaj. I really appreciate it. And um also for for your your previous series on on um Sharanagati, I I, I found it very nourishing myself. Uh it was very, very, very beautiful. More more inspiration for us to keep keep walking on, right? <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Um, So anybody else like to to make any comment or ask anything? Okay then, so thank you all for your time. Uh, Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I I look forward to to being with you through the week when we can and and next week. And um, yeah,
0: Hare Krishna. <laughs> Modern Mohan Prabhu Kijai. I'll venture Galpatruvish Chakra, listen <laughs> to the AV Patitanam Pavan and Bion Vishnavi on